Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast comes from Frito Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about prime time matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, buds? Welcome back to Japers Rank Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young, uh, joining here from Denmark, which is uh, exciting. My first podcast I think I've ever recorded overseas. And uh, I figured, uh, you know, the uh, with, with being overseas, I needed a familiar face, someone who, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, had on Japers Rank Radio a number of times. Uh, and also with about a million pieces of capitals and NHL-wide news breaking, I figure no time better to invite uh, Samantha Pell on. Uh, Washington Post beat writer for the Washington Capitals, of course. So, uh, Samantha, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, just kind of watching all this news happen, um, not only to the Caps, but basically across the NHL. It seems like a lot more teams have been way more active uh, than the Capitals. But, no, it's been good. It's been fun. Obviously, a lot to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I figure we would start in reverse chronological order from when I've been gone. But, uh I, you know, that does that does us a disservice because we have to talk about Alex Ovechkin before we talk about a VTech Vanacek trade, right? So uh, let's let's dive right into the Ovechkin contract because I think it's it's interesting on a number of levels. But I think let's let's kind of start with the broader question here. Like, where 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 was this contract kind of with um, your expectations for you know what the contract was going to look like and uh, kind of what do you think the broader picture of the contract is? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is obviously the AAV with 9.5. I think a lot of people thought that maybe he would be taking a team-friendly deal, but maybe I think everyone thought that was a 10 million uh, team-friendly deal, uh, not a 9.5, not a little bit lower than what he was making. So, you know, I I mean, this is a great deal, I think, for the Capitals. I mean, when you think about the 13-year, 124 million, that was probably one of the best aging contracts 
um, in the NHL at the time, just in terms of longevity and what, you know, Alex is really worth. And now, especially with the team so tied to the cap, it, I guess it didn't make sense for him to take a little bit of a hit, um, but I still thought 10 million was what everyone was looking at. I think especially the five years probably knocked that down to a 9.5 made sense all around for both parties. I'm going to be really intrigued to see why five years was sort of the number for both. Um, but those are the biggest things that stood out for me. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's interesting with the fifth year, right? Because I feel like it seems like some of the, some of the thought was that maybe it was going to be a four year or even a three year. I even heard it speculated somewhere that maybe it would be a, like a recurring one year kind of deal like Zidane Charles was for a long time with Boston. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of, why do you, why do you think it landed at such a longer term than maybe some of the people were thinking? Yeah, you know, I think it was always around that four to five year range. I don't know if it ever really got down to a three or a one. I I know there was all floated. Um, But I think, you know, when you look at the franchise, you look at my first thought was Nicholas Backstrom and how long his contract runs. That's another four years. So four years is very obvious um, to a lot of people. John Carlson's runs another five years. Um, That's another big piece of the puzzle for the cap. So I'd be interested to know um, if this was more kind of team oriented kind of window. I know we use that word a lot, um, but do they think the window is five years? Um, You know, Nick could sign for another year. They all go out happy. Who knows? Um, but also, you know, Gretzky's record now, you know, if Alex does score 40 plus goals the next couple of years, maybe he starts to slow down as he gets older, as everyone does, you know, it's kind of maybe more realistic to hit this in five seasons. Um, that's what it seems like, at least from the outside looking in on all of this. So, yeah, I, I think overall it, it makes sense. It's just it's a long contract. He's going to be, you know, 40 uh, when that contract hits yep. in his last year. So um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know how it all progresses. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say he's uh, almost certainly going to be a capital for life. But I guess I'm kind of <laughs> curious, like, you know, it seemed like the reporting at least was basically that this was like always kind of a done deal and that they were waiting for the expansion draft so they could protect mm-hmm. one more player. Um, do, do you think that this was a done deal or do you think that they were legitimately working up until uh, Wednesday when when they, when they announced the deal? Yeah, I... I... I think the basic structure was in place this whole entire time. I think both parties, again, I know people probably get so tired of us saying this, like they both wanted the same thing. They both wanted Alex back. Um, They knew this was going to happen capital for life. I do think the years is what probably was the biggest thing that was going back and forth. I'm not sure it was signed, sealed, delivered, you know, three months ago um, with the exact year and number. I just think they probably ended the season with a general understanding of what they wanted to do. And they'll go back to it once, you know, they have the expansion draft, once they figure out, okay, you know, Seattle took Vanacek. Obviously we're going to talk about that later, but you know, Seattle took Vanacek. It's not a big cap hit. Now we have to think about the ramifications for Ovechkin. Um, What do they do on the blue line? They traded Dylan to make more cap space. So I think that was probably explained to Alex um, more or less of let's see where we land at. Um, let's talk again, but I, I do think it was pretty much science field delivered, just a couple holdups here and there. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, uh, I don't like, I, I guess kind of hindsight on this a little bit, I, you know, obviously Alex Ovechkin, Washington Capitals is synonymous, but you know, I like it did take until like the very, you know, last day that it could for, for this extension to happen before Ovechkin was going to hit the open market. So kind of like, what do you think, do you think this was hanging over the team at all? And it, they're kind of the, some of the players might be relieved that this is over, or do you think that everyone kind of just assumed that Alex Ovechkin was going to be a capital and this maybe wasn't that big of a deal in the regular season. Yeah, I think 
I think everyone kind of knew. I think that was always the reoccurring storyline was that he was going to be back. It was just going to be about for how much and for how long. So I'm not sure it weighed as much on the team as like, for example, the Nicholas Baxter or Brayden Holtby scenario where the team had to basically decide in season midway through who to go with. Um, and obviously they, they chose Nick. So I think overall, um, I, I don't think it was a big distraction. I think everyone knew it was going to get done why it took, you know, to the very last minute um, before this all happened. I think that's a team organization thing and just how they decided to roll that out. Um, but no, I, I think it went exactly how they thought it would go. There you go. There you go. And, uh, you know, I, I think I, I kind of want to like, you know, because one of the bigger things that you were you were hitting on a little earlier was kind of, you know, the contention window. And I'm tired of talking about this, although I seem to talk about it all the time. So I don't know what, what that means. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that one of the interesting things, you know, is we talk about five years and it seems like that's when a lot of these contracts kind of sunset. So, you know, it seems like the Capitals have kind of made their move, right? That like they're going to they're going to try to, you know, compete with the Stanley Cup pretty much with the same core, right? Is that kind of is that kind of the read you're getting on with 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 this, the Carlson and the uh, Backstrom deals all kind of locked up for a long term? Yeah, that's what I, it's kind of just going towards. I mean, I guess we have to talk about, you know, the Kuznetsov and Oshi contracts, too, and how long they go. And um, that's a whole nother story. But I think overall, they are confident in the core that they have. They have for a very long time. And it's just about kind of retooling, not rebuilding um, at this point. Maybe they reevaluate that in two to three years. Once maybe some of these guys, if Alex, for some reason, if Backstrom doesn't produce at what they have been producing at, I mean, everyone kind of forgets or maybe they don't that Backstrom did have a really great regular season last year, um, you know, before the playoffs. And so I just think production wise, it's going to be interesting to see what these guys do in the next couple of years. And then they kind of move on, but they're slowly starting to add, I think some younger pieces with, you know, Martin Caravari probably coming up, playing a big role, Daniel Sprong, you know, they protected in the expansion draft. So I think there'll be little changes, but yeah, I mean, overall, it, it pretty much is the same team. Yep. 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 So uh, the other, the other kind of piece that's been breaking or, uh, you know, kind of been uh, the little bit of a saga, although I don't, I don't think there was a ton of drama around this really was uh, what I'm going to call the VTech Vanacek Chronicles, which is uh, of course he gets, uh, he gets taken by Seattle and, you know, as a capital fan, I think that some of us were, I think there was a bit of an interesting divide in people saying, oh, well, this was like the guy who was third on the depth chart going into the year, you know, this isn't that big of a deal versus people saying, you know, look, this is a guy who won, you know, a lot of games of the Capitals, who was a, a rock in goal when they really needed him to. So, you know, they, so they lose him and then they almost immediately get him back. Uh, I think the Seattle Kraken had a nice little joke there uh, <laughs> commemorating uh, Vitek Vanacek's time in Seattle with, uh, you know, a picture of him as a Washington Capitol, but with a uh, Seattle Kraken S over it. So I don't know, kind of, kind of break down what you think happened yeah, here with VTech and kind of what do you think the, uh, what do you think the role for him is going to be going forward and kind of what do you see his tenure as a capital shaping up to be at this point? Yeah, I think it's super interesting with VTech Vanacek because I think, you know, right now the Capitals, when they lost VTech in the expansion draft, the big headline was, okay, the Caps need a number two goalie. They need a backup, basically you know, everyone kind of put all their eggs in one basket with Ilya Samsonov and kind of what he can do. And that it seems like that's what the organization wanted. And then all of a sudden, you know, Grubauer goes and signs with Seattle. Um, Seattle's super crowded and B-Tech now goes back 
to basically replace himself um, yep. <laughs> in Washington because he's the best option at this point. When you looked at the market, when you looked at the numbers, I mean, his contract, that's why Seattle really loved him, right? Or it was the cap hit, it was the value and Washington wants the same thing. They need the same thing, honestly, um, yes. if they want to go out and make <laughs> any more moves and um, <laughs> at this point. So I think overall, you know, he should be the backup head into the season. I think, you know, we were, I was talking to some other reporters about it and, it's almost kind of like he's going to be maybe in the same spot as he was last year. I mean, is he really going to be a number two? Is Henrik Lundqvist really going to be maybe not, or is ready to play medically? I mean, we don't know at this point he's not, but maybe he could be at the start of the season. You know, Craig Anderson's now off the table. People thought he was going to retire. He signed with Buffalo last night, um, Wednesday night. And so I think overall VTech should be number two, but I mean, what happens if another, you know, kind of cheap young, or sorry, cheap veteran goaltender kind of pops up like a Lundqvist, like someone else and the Caps think, oh, hey, maybe this is our chance to add someone again, veteran to a group that probably needs some more guidance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, kind of an interesting, interesting thing. And uh, one of the one part of the VTech Vanacek Chronicles is uh, Brenda Dillon, who is now not a Washington Capital, who uh, was uh, <laughs> traded to the Winnipeg Jets for two second round picks, one of which uh, the Capitals then immediately used to get VTech Vanacek back as a Capital. So I guess what, what do we what do we think about Brendan Dillon and why, you know, I think that you really could have said, oh, like, the Capitals maybe had to pick between two, uh, two of the three defensemen, that being, uh, you know, Jensen, um, Dylan and Schultz. And, and it seems like Dylan kind of was the, was the one that got the short end of the straw. So do you think this was a matter of the Capitals really not liking Dylan? Do you think that was them just kind of saying we needed this space to sign Ovechkin kind of, what do you think the impetus was behind the idea yeah. of trading Dylan for, for picks? Yeah, I think I think the main thing, honestly, was was cap space. I think it was okay. You look at his three point nine million dollar contract. I mean, you could say the same for Justin Schultz, right? I think maybe the team probably, when you look at Laviolette's system, everything that Laviolette has said um, last season was he's very offensive minded um, on defense, and Justin Schultz is the perfect mold for that. Um, when Schultz, you know, was healthy and wasn't injured, he was very good for the Caps. You know, he worked on the power play. He really helps, I think, overall um, in zone time. And, you know, Dylan obviously is good in his own right at certain times. Um, I think, you know, he's physical, he's big, he worked on certain pairings well. But I think overall, as the season went on, um, I think it was probably more clear that I think the Capitals needed to lose um, one of the two of them, both in terms of cap space and um, you know, maybe Dylan's play there at the end. So I, I do think the main thing was cap space, but I think when you just start to compare players and what the Capitals, what's best for their system, I think a player like Schultz is probably easier um, for them at this point. Maybe they see that he has more upside when healthy. Um, and, you know, same with Jensen. I mean, his cap hits 2.5. He was very good last season with Chara. I think that's now the bigger question is, yep. Who do you pair with Jensen? If, if it is Faravari, is that pairing going to work on a third pairing? Um, does Jensen need a veteran? Is Jensen now a veteran? Like, I think that dynamic is going to be super interesting. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's and I kind of want to talk about the blue line a little bit because it's definitely shuffled a little bit, right? Because I think going into last year, you would have said, all right, like the Caps number one pair is probably going to be John Carlson and Brendan Dillon. And now, you know, they kind of shuffled that around, you know, they experimented with Orlov and Carlson that seemed to 
not really work at the start of the year, and then they came back to it late. And I'm kind of wondering, like, how do we think these pairs are going to shake out? Because I think that, you know, where Schultz fits in and where I think Nick Jensen fits in, who I, th- I agree with you was spectacular, or was maybe not spectacular. That's probably a bit of a stretch, but was, I think, very good during large stretches was- of last year. <laughs> kind of like, we, you know, where, where, where do we, where do we think mm-hmm. this all kind of shakes out? I mean, that's kind of the crazy thing. I do think it has to be a fair of our, I mean, from the bottom up, I think it's Faravari and Jensen are your third pairing to start, at least. I think we've kind of seen over the past couple of years with Jensen that maybe he's better suited um, for a third pairing role, or if it is in a top four, it has to be with a very strong left side defenseman. And I'm, I mean, is that Michael Kempty? Um, is that Orlov? I think, you know, Peter Laviolette liked the Orlov-Carlson pairing. I know a lot of people are, were skeptical about it, probably still are very skeptical um, about Orlov-Carlson. But I think as of now, I mean, when you just look at it, it probably has to be a Orlov-Carlson. I mean, you have to get TVR in there, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the is other thing. Is, I, mean, like, and I was, I was going like, to ask about this really later, but I guess now is as good a time as any with us talking about it. Well, I, I mean, one of the things that was curious about the expansion draft was we were all kind of wondering who the third defenseman they were going to protect would be after Orlov and Carlson. And I don't mm-hmm. think many people, me included, had TVR as the guy they were going to protect third. <laughs> so I don't know. To me, that seems like they, they at least McClellan, wants to, wants to see him have a pretty decent-sized role next year. Yeah, I also think, you know, along those lines, Seattle, basically McClellan told reporters, I think it was last week, that they knew that Seattle liked kind of those cheap um, salary caps, good value contracts, and TVR is on a really great deal. So maybe they thought that they would take TVR. So they're basically protecting him in order so that Seattle didn't take him. I think that so Washington had the chance to at least see TVR. Um, more and yeah. see if he would fit in and where he would fit in. So it, it, I think it was very strategic in that case. I don't think it was an automatic, okay, we're protecting TBR. He's going to be a top four defenseman. Um, but I do think they really like him and that's why they extended him. And that's why he's still here. I think where it gets a little dicey is, you know, Michael Kempney, what's his health status? Is he really full go? Um, does he get, you know, first dibs over a guy like TBR? Same with Faravari. Does Faravari get a shot before TVR does. Um, so they're still kind of crowded, which is weird. Um, yeah. Thinking that Chara left, Dylan left. Like, it seems like we talked about this all last season that they had a crowded blue line and they have a crowded blue line again and they didn't add anyone really. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it'll be super interesting. But I mean, really Orlov Carlson is probably the safest bet unless company they feel like is, you know, ready, good to go 100% both, you know, physically and mentally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be curious. And I think uh, training camp this year is going to be interesting because I think Faravari is someone that clearly, I think it seems like you and, uh, you know, Tarek and some of the other people around the Capitals have kind of said in the caps really, I think, see that, see him kind of slotting into the lineup next year. So that'll, that'll kind of be interesting. Um, Yeah. And uh, I think the last thing we're going to talk about before we take a break and uh, maybe speculate a little more as the future Capitals plans is uh, someone we hinted about earlier someone who is still a Washington Capitol although it seems like uh you know I saw Greg Wyshynski say that he was like almost 100% sure Kuznetsov was going to get traded that hasn't totally fit with what I've heard and what kind of McClellan has said but I'm I'm kind of curious like well I guess maybe let's let's start with this uh 
why is Evgeny Kuznetsov still a capital? And do you think he will still be a capital uh, in a, in, uh, by the time the uh, training camp starts? Yeah, two very different good questions. Yes. Um, I think why Kuznetsov is still a capital is um, honestly the, the trade value. Uh, I'm not sure that the return is there um, at this current time slash will ever be there. Um, I think my thought process, just purely my opinion, is I'm not sure even if they did lose Kuznetsov, I'm not sure anyone they would get back would automatically be able to fill his role um, in any capacity. I think the Capitals are kind of stuck um, internally. I'm not sure if they have a guy to fill his role. I mean, the first guy you think of is Connor McMichael. Um, but do you want to Backstrom, Eller, McMichael, Dow? Those are your four centers down the line. Or do you want to take another shot with Kuznetsov and you still have a Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Eller, Dowd? Try it for one more year, half a year. I don't know. Maybe he could be gone at the trade deadline. But I think McClellan left room for him being, you know what? Like he was very open and honest at the end of the last season of, I don't know if I don't have the confidence to know if Kuznetsov is going to be, you know, good 100% next season. He's like, I can't tell you that, right? He's like, I have no clue. He's been inconsistent for me the last few seasons. That's what I do now. But what he also said was, look, he had COVID twice last season, you know, kind of a weird year. We're just going to kind of see where it lands. So I think basically, you know, GMs have to say that about their players, right? Um, yeah. You know, he's a great player. He's good. Um, we don't know where we want to put him. But I think overall, it's probably the trade value. It's the market. It's you see all these other guys and what their contracts are going for. And you think, okay, what can they realistically get? <laughs> I'm not sure if the return is there. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, the, the other kind of interesting name floating out there that I've almost tied to Kuznetsov in my brain a little bit as someone who I'm curious to see how the yeah. trade market develops is uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. And he, of course, is still a St. Louis blue as of this recording, although it seems like uh, there might be a move uh, somewhat soon on him, although I'm not totally sure. Uh, with that, we're going to, though, take a quick break. And then on the other side, I'm going to ask uh, Samantha Pell to blindly speculate on what the Capitals are going to do and uh, she's going to give me a way better answer than uh, than any kind of dumb blind speculation I would give. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. Still here with Samantha Powell. And uh, Samantha, I one of the one of the kind of bigger things about the Capitals free agency so far uh, has been that they haven't added anyone, uh, and uh, really they've only subtracted with Brendan. <laughs> so. What do we kind of think about what they're going to be doing going forward? And uh, what do you, do you think, do you see any big news on the horizon? Or do you think, I mean, it's like we kind of talked about earlier, the Capitals have kind of announced their intention with the core. So uh, kind of any, any, uh, you know, kind of, uh, do, do you see a big move on the horizon? Or do you think this is kind of where, where we think the caps are at this point? Yeah, I think this is kind of where the caps are at this point. I think it would surprise me if they did go get like a flashy free agent signing, like we've seen some of these teams do, but I do think maybe they add someone, um, just depth wise, I could see maybe a depth board being added, but you also think that lineup is pretty much the same with, you know, Daniel Sprong and Connor Sherry and how those guys kind of fit in. They're kind of in the same spots um, as they were before. You didn't lose anyone. So I think if it is going to be anyone added, it'll just be maybe a couple kind of fringe guys that maybe could help contribute. But I think what they have internally as well um, kind of works from the guys in Hershey and maybe they want to give those guys a shot before, you know, going out and trying to sign anyone else. I think the goalie market um, is interesting, even though they did get Vanacek, are they going to be looking still for someone else? Um, who knows? I mean, that's basically what Seattle did. So I think overall the, this team is kind of, 
kind of it. <laughs> yeah. As much as that sounds um, very sure. And I'm sure, you know, something's going to happen now in five minutes. It's going to blow everything up. Um, but yeah. you know, I, I think this is it just looking at cap space and the team and everything that, you know, management is set up to this point. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I will say, um, you know, I, I do wonder almost though, if, um, if Kuznetsov is traded, then could you, I mean, is that, is that maybe when we say, okay, like maybe they have the room to, to pull off, uh, I know from Luke from our site is kind of joke that he would love Jack Eichel to be a Washington Capital, but uh, I, I, it almost seems like uh, Kuznetsov moving would almost be the prerequisite to any kind of crazy big thing happening, no? Yeah, I think if the Capitals were to, again, like blow it up, kind of make a huge scene, I think that would be Kuznetsov moving first um, in the return for that or wherever he goes. Um, but I don't think, you know, they can really move anyone else that's going to kind of move the needle in, in my eyes. I think maybe if they did want to move a defenseman, if, you know, they did want to move Schultz still, or they did want to move Jensen, then maybe that's something um, that they would look at. I think that would signal that they're very confident in a guy like Michael Kempney or TVR and Farivari and think that they're good to go and they don't really need sort of these backups behind them. Uh, but at this point, it seems like the Dylan trade was kind of the big one to get picks and then the Vanacek thing um, to come back, Ovi's good. So it seems like to me, this is this is still where we're at. No, absolutely, that makes sense. And uh, you know, one of the other big pieces of things on on news that it seems like they kind of have uh, really have to do. Really, I would argue probably the last big one is uh, Samsonov uh, and his um, restricted free agency. The Capitals uh, are going to have to, you would think, come to some kind of deal or trade him away, or I guess the team could offer sheet him. Although that seems really unlikely. So, kind of, <laughs> what do you think the status of the uh, Samsonov yeah. uh, RFA no negotiations are? Yeah, I know uh, that McClellan has talked to Samsonov's representatives. They talked before free agency, had initial conversations. They feel like, you know, probably a bridge deal is the way to go here, just in terms of, I would say, even less salary cap and more performance based based on the bridge deal. I think both sides kind of realize the inconsistencies that he's had last season and even, you know, obviously dating back to the off ice injury situation in the postseason, you know. He still has a long way to go. So I think at this point, a bridge deal makes the most sense for both sides and they both understand that. So they're just kind of working towards it. It seems like there's really no big issues there. Samsonov does have arbitration rights. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But at least right now in the present, everything seems to be working out. Um, and yeah, I would expect that to be coming. Okay, there you go. That's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, and I, it's going to be interesting, I guess, to see kind of what the number is, although I would imagine it's not going to be the highest number in the right. history of the world. Um, and all right, well, I think <laughs> one of the, you know, one of, one of the other things that I'm, I'm in, that I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on is, um, well, I've been gone and, uh, a lot more on that in a bit. Um, I, I, you know, the expansion draft happened and I know we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that, TVR was maybe kind of a slight surprise in terms of, uh, you know, him being uh, the third defenseman protected. But was there anything that kind of surprised you about the Caps list? And uh, obviously we have the hindsight of learning that they now have Vitek Vanacek back. Do you think that that was even remotely part of the plan that they would try to get him back or kind of what do we, what, what, what was your kind of thought about how they handled the expansion draft and were there any kind of surprises in terms of people they left protected or unprotected? Yeah, I, th I think the biggest thing for me was TVR, but then thinking about it and, you know, hearing McClellan kind of explain it of, you know, contracts and all that and knowing that the Capitals needed to kind of shed some salary cap space. I think 
I think it made sense. I mean, I think the Capitals were probably going to be content if they did lose Dylan in the expansion draft or they were going to trade him. I, I think that probably was always on the table. I think McClellan always kind of thinks two or three steps ahead. I'm not sure if the Vanacek thing ever crossed their minds. I'm sure it had to, but I know from Seattle's point of view, they thought Vanacek was going to be part of their tandem. And then, you know, Grubauer was on the market and things just kind of turned really quickly there. So, you know, maybe Mac was playing 3D chess and we just didn't know. Um, but I, I don't think, think many people had Seattle getting Grubauer, though, including Seattle, right. by the way. So, right. I was like, I think Seattle was a little surprised that this all happened. And, you know, Washington just kind of jumped on it and was like, hey, the best person to replace Vitek Vanacek is Vitek Vanacek. Um, so I, I think it all worked out in the end. I think for Seattle, I'm, I'm not sure what they're doing. I think a lot of people were probably a little confused with all of that. But, you know, maybe some people thought, at least from the Cavs perspective, they could have uh, protected Sherry instead of Sprong. But I think maybe Sprong would have been a really valuable asset to someone like Seattle, a young guy, probably, you know, always plays well in a top six role. And maybe he doesn't get that here in Washington next season. So who knows what his production levels are going to be. But I think overall, it was what we expected. Um, just, yeah, just that TBR thing. But now looking back, it, it makes sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess I'll, uh, I'll indulge Luke one more time. Uh, I, one of the things I'm kind of interested <laughs> in next year is, uh, you know, obviously the Capitals are bringing, are, uh, you know, unless something crazy happens, which, of course, as soon as we stop recording, something will crazy will happen because that's that's the name of the business. But, you know, I think that, it, for me, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious what Daniel Sprong's role is going to be next year. So let's kind of maybe conclude here by doing a little bit of uh, forecasting for next year. Uh, what, what do you what do you think of, you know, let's start with Sprong and then I'll kind of ask a general question to conclude. So what, what do you think is Sprong's role is going to be next year? I mean, it was it was interesting to me that they protected him and uh, over Sherry, even though it seemed to me like LaViolette maybe trusted Sherry a little bit more. So. I'm kind of curious, like, what are your thoughts on, on Sprong and kind of where do you see him slotting next year? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing that I took away from Sprong last year and Laviolette and how Laviolette talked towards the end of the year, Laviolette would always say, you know, I think I will always want to put a player in the best position for him to succeed. And it seemed like that was always the hint that he thought that Sprong was best in a top six role. Um, among the forwards and he just didn't fit in the bottom six because Sprong is such a goal scorer. He's more offensive minded. Um, you know, honestly, like he said that he needs to work more on his 200 foot game. I think we saw that, you know, Lavila probably didn't put a line with Sprong on it, you know, a lot in the defensive zone to start. It, it just, it made sense for Sprong to, you know, be in an OB position when OB was out and why he scored so many goals when he did, because he was put in a position with Kuznetsov basically to succeed instantly right um yeah. on a top line and with guys like that and that's why it kind of all worked out but when he did go into a bottom six role maybe he didn't get that chance to maybe score it wasn't you know offensively minded there you know with like a Lars Eller and you know like a Raffle or you know a Sherry or someone like that on the other side so for me I'm going to be really curious to see if Laviolette even tries to put him in a top six role somehow, I think we saw that, you know, it's like a TJ Oshie moving down to a third line and kind of mixing them up that way and trying to create more equal lines um, all the way down. So I'm not really sure. And that's probably a bad answer, but I'm not really sure where Scott <laughs> fits in because no, I, I'm he's not good. Sure. He has the so. talent. He's young. Obviously, we've seen he's explosive when he's in, but 
it's about finding, I think that right line and right chemistry. And honestly, how many minutes can you trust him both, you know, offensively and defensively? Yeah. And uh, I think I'll, I'll conclude by asking this. Um, I, I'm going to ask, I, I'm going to, I guess, phrase this as the Connor McMichael question, but I think you can probably apply it, apply it a little more broadly. Um, you know, the Caps are definitely not replete with prospects, but they they have a few. Uh, and I think we've we've talked a little bit about Martin Faravari, and we think that he might seem to slot in as the six or kind of at minimum seventy. Do you think there's anyone else mm-hmm. that kind of you you would see um, cracking the lineup? And uh, you know, I guess. Also, the Connor McMichael question, right? Like, I, it seems like they want to start him in the AHL, but, uh, you know, if the, I would imagine if the Caps struggle, particularly offensively early in the year, he might be one of the first people they look to to uh, really see if they can get the, get, the, get some scoring depth from him. Right, yeah, I think definitely, first off, it seems like Faravari, um, again, they want him to be in that full-time role. I think McClellan said something to the effect of, we want him to be a full-time player. Like we will make other moves if need be to get him there. Like it, it seems like they're very, very determined to at least give him a shot yeah. um, and make sure that he has a chance. And, you know, if he gets that chance, doesn't do well, then, you know, let's all reevaluate our lives. But I, I think for right now, that's kind of the plan. I think with McMichael, maybe the team is, it seems to me maybe a little bit more hesitant um, to throw him in. I mean, we saw him make his debut. We saw him, you know, play a couple of games there, but it never seemed like they were so, I guess, determined to put him in as they are with Farivari. Um, maybe that's just positioning. Maybe that's just where they feel like players fit in best and at this current time. But I think overall, you're right. McMichael probably should get a shot, will get a shot um, if there's any injuries up front. But I wouldn't say that he's as... Um, what's the word he's not as locked in as a Faravari in terms of an opportunity right away if that makes sense um I think he's more down the line (laughs) absolutely no 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 that makes sense that makes sense and uh you know it'll it'll definitely be interesting I think with training camp because I think uh you know it's not like the caps from a few years ago you know I think that they have some spots that are going to be interesting to see how everything kind of shakes out so uh you know and uh it's it's as interesting as as you can get for a team that is basically bringing their entire (laughs) roster back uh minus Brendan Dillon so uh, we'll, we'll definitely right. we'll see how that goes. Uh, but Samantha, I know you're going to see how it goes from uh, from your perch at the Washington Post, and you'll be uh, keeping us informed every step of the way. So uh, I, this is going to be as smooth of an end transition as I could think. Uh, so I'm going to give myself a B plus for that. Uh, but uh, where can people find you and your uh, your various works and musings uh, <laughs> and, uh, at the you know with, with your current role? Yeah, you know everything will be on uh, my Twitter, Washington. Or, wow. I mean, everything will be on WashingtonPost.com. That's where I work. Um, <laughs> it will be on the Washington Samantha Sports J-Pow, Twitter, yeah, right? Or Washington Post Sports Twitter, right? Post, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, it, it will be on Twitter somewhere. I'm sure people will retweet it or something. Maybe, hopefully, we're not. Uh, but yeah, I know everything's on my Twitter. Uh, we'll see how things go. It, it'll be a little bit quiet after. I would assume, you know, the Ovechkin announcement today is Thursday. So he has a virtual event, maybe some couple of free agent signings here and there. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, it should be quiet until uh, September. 
Yeah. All right. Well, and we'll uh, we'll uh, we're going to keep the content rolling at Japers Rank uh, Radio, although, uh, you know, I'm still trying to kind of figure out my schedule being abroad and everything like that. So uh, with that, if you uh, like the show, please rate, write, subscribe, review. Um, there are other Capitals podcasts out there now. Uh, and so the more reviews we get, the the more people can find the show. And that's always exciting. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, Samantha, thank you so much for joining. And uh, we're, uh, we're we're excited. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine we'll uh, we'll probably ask you to come on again in September. So I'm excited to, to chat with you then. Absolutely. Thanks so much. This has been fun. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.